Welcome to Craftlet, the podcast for crafters who love books. My name is Heather Ordover, and I'm podcasting from my corner of the Sonoran Desert, the Old Pueblo, Tucson, Arizona. Episode 140, Reaching the Summit. This episode of Craftlet is brought to you by Knitting Out Loud. Listen while you knit. And Holiday Vacations. Join us on our next trip next fall in London, Bath, and Wales. Well, hello! First, I have to say, I hope you can hear a little difference in the audio quality. This is because I was sent a brand new present from a friend of mine in New York who is also a Craftlet listener. Marna sent me the most wonderful new microphone. It has actual padding protection on it. So those of you who were in my podcasting for amateurs class, even though I don't really think of you as amateurs, I think of you more as very excited people who want to podcast. Um, you, <laughs> It's not the same microphone that you saw before. This one is stationary. And as you know, stationary is a challenge for me, but I'm, I'm working through it. I Because I'm a theater person, I tend to move. You can't see my hands moving, but I do. So Marna, thank you so much. Shout out! And I really hope you can go on the trip with us to Bath and Wales. What say you? If you are tuning into this podcast and you are new, today we will be listening to Chapter 16 of The Scarlet Letter, which is the book we are currently reading together. You can go to craftlit.com to pick up the previous episodes in our library, or you can get them from iTunes by either using the Get All feature when you subscribe, or just taking the chapters that you want. If you want to know which chapters apply to which books, visit the craftlit.com library, and at the very top of the page you'll see the listing that shows you what, um, what episodes go with what books. It makes it all very easy to get exactly what you want. And as far as our trip goes, I'm very excited. Holiday Vacations is arranging for us we craftlity people to go on a tour of London Bath and Wales, a very bookish, knittingish, fiberish tour. If you are interested in getting more information, this is not any kind of commitment on your part, but just to receive notification when a full brochure comes out, please go to craftlit.com and in the upper right hand corner you'll see an icon that says London Bath and Wales with a little golden medallion. Click on that. It will take you directly to the page where you enter your email. And once you do that, you will get email notifications as things come up and change. So what does that mean? That means A, Holiday Vacations does not sell or transfer or release your emails. So don't hesitate that way. It's not a spammy thing. You can also access the preliminary brochure online Go to, I know I'm not surprising you here, craftlit.com, C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T, all one word, dot com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the icon for the holiday travel London Bath and Wales tour. Click on that and it will take you to everything you need to know. And along with the everything you need to know thing, here is someone to tell us more. Okay, so first off, aside from being a Craftlet listener, who are you and why are you trying to get us to go on a trip with Craftlet people? I'm Diane Reed Jackson from Holiday Vacations. We're located in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I'm the Corporate Travel Manager and the Incentive Programs Coordinator at Holiday. All right, well, it sounds like I can trust you, but I've... You know, being the daughter of a geographer, I've always been kind of the rugged individualist when it comes to traveling, and so... Going on a trip with a bunch of other people is always a little uncomfortable. And I'm willing to wager that more than one Craftlet listener is kind of like that. So give us some explanation for why in this situation it's better for us to travel together via a Craftlet adventure. You know, we have fantastic hotels in fabulous locations so that when you've got free time, one way that people save money on trips uh-huh. is, you know, they'll put people in a hotel way out of town, and then you spend all your time getting into the things that you want to see during mm. free time. We're across the street from the Victorian Albert Museum. 
we're walking distance to the Cardiff Castle and all the fabulous shops and pubs and things recommended by Brenda Dane. The last night we're staying at a Heathrow property. We're in wonderful locations and that in itself is worth the money yeah. in your time and the quality of the trip while you're there. And I know the final brochure isn't out yet, but that when it is out, it's going to have all the pricing and, and all of that information. But just as an upshot, as a quickie, what's going to be included in the price? That's your hotels and wonderful locations. Full breakfast every day. We start you out with a fabulous meal, so you've got energy to do all the fun things we're going to do. You have a lunch at a historic pub during our London City Tour, and three meals, our welcome dinner where we all get to know each other, a Welsh banquet at Cardiff Castle, three-course farewell dinner where we uh, have dinner with Mr. Darcy. All right. Well, I'm sold on the food and accommodations, but what about airfare? The reason we don't have airfare included is because when a trip is promoted uh, over the Internet, people could be coming from anywhere. Think of all the fabulous people you're going to be meeting. It's true. You could be meeting people from anywhere. Isn't that great? I kind of am a do-it-yourself person. You know, I piece together stuff, and I've always had the feeling that I've lost out on things. So what are some of the things that we're going to be able to do that I might not have done if I went on my own? Well, um, during our time at the Victorian Albert Museum, we are going to have a private guided tour in the morning just for our group. And what I'm planning on doing is um, surveying everybody who's going because I know your listeners have all different areas of interest. So if more people are interested in fiber, we'll kind of go that way. If more people are interested in other kinds of creative arts, because the Victorian Albert Museum is a fantastic museum for the creative arts and we'll have our private guided tour tailored to our interests. That is spectacular. Yeah. We're going to have dinner um, one evening at a Welsh banquet at right at Cardiff Castle, which is going to be so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. And we're going to your suggestion, Hay Upon Wai, which is a fabulous little village, um, very picturesque with over 30 used and antiquarian bookshops. And not only that, we got some fabulous suggestions from Brenda Dane of Caston. And there is a little place called Shepherd's that serves ice cream made out of sheep's milk. And there's all sorts of other cute and unique little shops. And we're just going to set everybody loose for that day. This is really cool. That wasn't even on the brochure, was it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) The, The sheep's milk ice cream. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you are listeners of Cast On, um, in Series 3, we're going to be visiting the Wool Museum that Brenda went to and interviewed people, and also St. Fagan's, um, the National Museum, which is one of the best open-air museums in all of of Europe. And I believe those are Episodes 32 and 37, if you want to go back and listen to see, you know, what exactly it is that we're going to go see and do. That's very cool. And I think Brenda has some pictures up on her show notes as well. One of the things that I'm really excited about is that I'm going to be able to travel with my husband, which is great. And, you know, there's that kind of, oh, is my husband going to have to go to all this knitting stuff? But you've really set up some interesting locations so that the men, if they want to, can go off on their own. But I think you've also set up something called a distillery. Pendern, which is one of the distilleries for hundreds of years. They've not distilled whiskey in Wales. And this is, I forgot how many years old it is, but it's uh, one of the first distilleries in Wales. In fact, I think it's the only distillery right now. And we're going to have a whiskey tasting on our way back from Hay Upon Wye that day before we go to the banquet at Cardiff Castle. So after we've all tasted whiskey, it should be some wild banquet we're going to have. <laughs> we don't have to dress up in Renaissance costumes or anything, though, do we? No, it won't be like that. Um, it's going to be, it's not going to be like a medieval type banquet. Um, the people who wait on us are going to have normal clothing on, but it is such a beautiful room. We're going to eat in one of the oldest rooms of the castle and then have an opportunity to taste traditional Welsh um, cuisine. Fantastic. And uh, the costume thing, though, does pop in on the last night, I think, if I remember correctly. Well, if anyone like me is in love with Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy is going to come and have dinner with us the last evening. Um, There's a company called the History Wardrobe that does 
um, presentations on different period clothing um, throughout Great Britain. Um, they present to literary groups and ladies' societies and things. And they have a little bit interesting twist. I wanted to have a hot man of craft lit. <laughs> and they have a little bit different twist. And our entertainment the last evening is called Undressing Mr. Darcy. Now, and he this isn't a stripper, though. No, he's not a stripper. This is very serious, well-researched costume history. He starts in full Regency garb and takes it off one piece at a time while they're describing, you know, the, the costumes and the, the customs of the day um, right down to his Regency drawers. <laughs> Which he's allowed to leave on. Yes, he leaves those on. But prior to that, there will be photo ops with Mr. Darcy so you can have your picture taken with Mr. Darcy before you come home. It's sort of our grand finale to our little adventure. That is spectacular. And one of the other things that I thought was really wonderful about the way you planned this for for us is that that last night we are right next to Heathrow. So if somebody has an early trip, they don't have to bail on the Mr. Darcy thing. That's right. Um, The last evening we're staying at the Crown Plaza near the Heathrow Airport. It's just, uh, uh, I believe, just like five pounds transportation to get to the airport the next morning. That's cool. Now, should we bring one pound notes to put into Mr. Darcy's Regency drawers? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's, that's, you know, we're in, we're in Britain after all. <laughs> you know, I don't, I think that would be frowned upon. Perhaps we should behave ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Now, the other place that we haven't talked about is Bath, and I've been to Bath before, and I have vivid memories of going through the old Roman baths. Is that where we're going to go and what we're going to see? Yep. We're going to do three different things. We will visit the Roman baths, um, which is just absolutely fascinating. We'll also have a little bit of time to wander around and have uh, a little lunch on your own, which is wonderful. The Sally Lund Bakery is there, and it's been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. You can see where they make Sally Lund bread. Um, And then we're also going to visit the Jane Austen Center. And there's another fabulous costume museum, the Bath um, Fashion Museum there, and we're going to do all of those things. Be on our way to Cardiff. Um, and before we visit Tintern Abbey. <gasps> I'm very excited about that. I read Tintern Abbey in my AP English class 150,000 years ago. And, you know, it didn't exactly move me at the time. But going uh-huh. back and reading it again and having the opportunity to read it while we're there, I'm thinking of planning a little craft lit fun to have at Tintern Abbey. Yeah, that would be so great. And really, the ruins there are so romantic looking. You can see why Wordsworth, and I know it was visited by many of the the people from the romantic movement, why they were, you know, drawn to that place. So, a quick recap. We're staying fabulous places. We're going and visiting many fabulous places. We will have time on our own to do a little exploring. We get to eat in a freaking castle, and we are, because you are so good at this, we have been put into some fantastic places for sleeping, so we won't have to share bathrooms. (laughs) Right, right, and they're in great locations, so that when you do have free time, you don't have to spend all your time getting into the city to be close to the things you want to do and see. Oh, that's really nice, so it's all walking distance, and... Yeah. So... Diane, I know you're going on the trip, and I am going on the trip with my husband, Andrew, and we have a couple other people who are interested, but who else has committed so far? Well, I know that Amy Singer of Nitty and her husband are going. Oh, very cool. I was with them on the Seasocks cruise. They're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. They are. So this is great. We We have hardcore Nitty Knitters. We have fiber artsy people. We have uh-huh. poetry-ish people. We have uh-huh. room for a lot of different people with a lot of different interests to come with yeah. us. Well, and I, I have it on authority that you're very close to a playwright. It's true. I am. And he yeah. is very up on Dylan Thomas. So he may present a little Dylan Thomas action for us. Oh, you know, we're going to the boathouse in Larne where he lived in the 1950s. I'm very excited about that. 
as I am very excited about pretty much everything having to do with our trip. So I hope that gave you, you know, a, a broad enough sense of what's going to be happening and where we'll be going and why you should get some information and try and join us. It's me, it's Amy, it's Diane. You can tell Diane is a lot of fun and it's just a great opportunity. Now, I know going to Europe for some of us who are in the States is very pricey and you might be intimidated, but number one, you have a year to save money. Number two, this will not be the last trip we take. We have books that we've been reading from lots of places all over the world world and we will continue to do that. Diane is a super spectacular person and a wonderful listener and she is absolutely bubbling with ideas for trips for us. So go ahead and get your name on the email list. Remember your email will not be sold or lent to anyone, only holiday travel. I don't even see a copy of the list. It's all them. So, sign up with your email address, that way you'll get updates, and I'll talk to Diane about um, whether we can keep that email list for future trips, just to, to give you a heads up if something new is coming out. Very, very exciting stuff. And under the heading of other exciting stuff, as you probably know, I have returned from the Sock Summit, which is part of why it took me forever to get the audio out. I have had so much to edit, not just me and Diane, but the stuff you're going to hear in a little bit. In fact, I still have embarrassingly audio from Marilyn Sheep and Wool, but that's a different podcast. To, as, as I wrote in the show notes, to say that we're exhausted is kind of an understatement and probably an overstatement because I'm sure everybody is saying this on their blog. It was an amazing ride. Stephanie and Tina did an outrageous job. And and Stephanie said something that I, I thought was really um, very telling and insightful. And just, you know, Stephanie is a very smart woman. And I didn't know Tina from a hole in the ground. And now, now I can tell the difference. Tina's also very much like Stephanie in that she is smart and driven and duh, right? I mean, she's socks the rock. They said something the first night that really clued me into the fact that I was teaching in a different kind of place. Normally, when you teach at conferences or when you teach at stores or when you teach at universities or high schools, things just kind of happen. You know, you have a basic outline and you kind of roll with it and you pretty much know what's going on and it's pretty much always the same. Stephanie and Tina made a comment that first night that they had arranged this sock summit to treat the participants and the teachers the way that they themselves would like to be treated. I know that sounds outrageous, right? <laughs> aren't we all supposed to treat each other the way we'd like to be treated? Well, on the teaching side of things, that doesn't generally happen. Usually there are a, a lot of extra expectations that are put on you. There are surprises at the last minute that make it very difficult to do what you had planned to do. Um, your students aren't at the level that you were told they would be at which is not, that's not a bad thing. It's just a, you have to switch up on the fly thing. And that can sometimes make you a less effective teacher if you have to, you know, completely do an about face at the last minute. And of course, we don't like to say anything about that to students because it's not your fault. And we don't want to say anything, anything to the people who are planning things because you want to be hired somewhere again. So it puts teachers in a very awkward situation a lot of times. This is very true in high school. Those of you who are high school teachers, you know what I'm talking about. University is not much different. So here's the wonderful thing. Teaching at Sock Summit, I taught two six-hour Sock Heel classes, one three-hour podcasting class, and three how-to-get-a-podcast-quick-and-dirty kind of one-hour wonder classes. I have never in my entire life been surrounded by or been blessed to teach such smart, focused, and amazing women as I did during the sock summit. I, I, the gods were with Stephanie and Tina. When the server crashed, it was like great people got in. I, I, I'm sure there were great people who didn't get in. And if there is another sock summit, and I'm hoping there will be, and if I am lucky enough to teach at it, and I hope I would be, 
I am sure those of you who are also smart and wonderful will get into that one. Because this was, you know, a very interesting trial run. Nobody really expected 30,000 people to crash the server that first 15 minutes. It was amazing and exciting and really exhausting. And for those of you who tried to come up and talk to me, I know that first night when Steph and Tina gave their great talk, I know there were those of you who were trying to get to me, and I am so sorry that I just kind of left. I was so tired. I hadn't slept more than three hours in about four days. If I hadn't left, honestly, I would have dropped on my feet. And I had my friends who ran interference for me and, and got me out of there. Actually, a bunch of us wound up in that situation. So I apologize that first night if it gave you the impression that I didn't want to talk to you. I did want to talk to you, but I I would have sounded like bleh, 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 at that point, and that wouldn't have done you any good. <laughs> for those of you who I did get to see, it was very nice. It was very nice to get to put faces with people whose voices I've heard or whose emails I've written and read. It was just wonderful. Wonderful. Just, God, you guys are the most amazing people. So, all right, I've blathered on enough about that. The real thing that I want to share with you from the Sock Summit, aside from my just overwhelmed nature at how wonderful everybody is, which you know is a really nice position to be in, is this. I got my copy of Knitting for Anarchists signed by Anna Zilberg. If you have not read Knitting for Anarchists, you really must. She is um, a spectacular person, and Knitting for Anarchists, I promise you, is not the book you think it is. Everything written by this woman I am now going to go out and buy. She was funny and smart, which doesn't surprise anyone if you read her book, and um, brilliant. Just, I mean, it was like everything that fell out of her mouth was just fabulous. And I'm very glad that they were recording the Luminary panel because truly you will want to watch it. Not everything that was said was like, you know, gold dropping at your feet, but so much of it was just insightful and fun and smart and uh, it was great. So some things to look at, and I'm going to put links to all of these things on the show notes because some of them really truly are not to be missed. The things that I some of the things that I am putting links to, I am also putting up pictures so that if you aren't interested in linking, 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 you can at least get some idea. The first is Jazz Knitting Wrapping Paper. This is a gallery and website that's hosted by a husband and wife. They have a laser cutting business thing, and uh, there are two parts to this. One is um, Alicia Helfman, I hope I said her name right, her business card, which is a laser-cut uh, leaded glass window with leaves falling behind it. I think I've already broken a couple of the leaded glass pieces. Um, her website is leafdisplay.com. Her, I, I can't begin to describe the delicate and beautiful nature of that business card. But then she also handed a card out that was... Um, you know how you can make springy things if you cut spirals out of pieces of paper? It's that, but that underneath, hidden underneath the spiral that lifts off the card is a piece of freeform knitting that she did. Beautiful. The top is a piece of freeform. I'm looking to see if it's crochet. Oh, wow. It looks like a braided rug with rug hooking in the middle. I didn't see that before. Uh, she is just stupendous in her art. And um, she and her husband, Joe Friedman, have just done yeoman service in the art world. They've got a gallery going, the Beat Gallery, which is at beatgallery.com, and that's B-E-E-T. Um, amazing dollhouses and art and laser cuts. She was wearing a freeform ginkgo leaf scarf. So each piece of the scarf scarf was an individual ginkgo leaf. It was knitted to size, and it was knitted in um, yarn that was changing color in fairly long repeats, so that it was like every piece of her short row was a different color, so you could really see the texture of the ginkgo leaf. It was amazing, and I know it has popped up on other people's blogs. 
So that is something to look at. I also got Chrissy Gardner's new book, Toe Up, Patterns and Worksheets to Whip Your Sock Knitting into Shape. This is, um, some of it is very similar to uh, the class that I taught but she focused entirely on toe-up socks. I'm going to be reading and reviewing this book later, so more on Chrissy Gardner soon. You may remember that Chrissy was one of the people who was on the Sea Socks cruise with us, so that was kind of fun to get to see her. I also got to stop by and meet, in person, our Knitting Out Loud sponsor. And boy, was that fun. And she gave me... <laughs> Mason Dixon's Knitting Outside the Lines and stories from the nation's leading bi-regional knitting blog. So bonus material here. Read by Kay Gardner and Anne Shane, which I'm guessing is going to be a big, massive hoot because they are a lot of fun. So I'm going to be listening to this and reviewing that, and that will become an incentive item. And then I also got from Knitting Out Loud, The Secret Language of Knitters, The Hilarious Guide to the Language of Knitters by Mary Beth Temple. It's read by the author, which I'm very excited about. And um, that one I'm also going to be listening to. I may listen to that first. It's a little bit shorter. And then that will become an incentive item. We've got lots of incentive items coming up. Here's another one. I also was handed a copy of Sweater 101, How to Plan Sweaters That Fit and Organize Your Knitting Life at the Same Time. Now, this book went out of print for a while. It is called A Timeless Classic. It is by Cheryl Burnett. She signed the copies. One of these is going to become, she gave me two. One of these is going to become an incentive item this year. She has contact information in the front. It was originally published in 1991, and then it was renewed in 2007. And because she is a fabulous woman, it says in here, special permissions may be granted to teachers in public or private schools from preschool through grade 12 who would like to use Sweater 101 in their curricula. To see if you qualify, contact her by email explaining your program. There are worksheets and schematics and diagrams and explanations and I am going to go through this sucker and maybe even knit myself a sweater um, because you know it's going to get cold here so soon. <laughs> Actually today was very odd. Today was very cloudy and cool, not cold, cool-ish all day which is very nice because it was my kids first day of school and you know to have a hot first day of school really bites. Um, it is, yes, I know, August 13th. I know that is freakish. Arizona starts early for reasons that still do not make any sense to me and ends early. They end around the 23rd of May. So uh, it's like it's monsoon season. It's going to be hot and humid. If the schools only have swamp coolers, then it's really going to be miserable. But what do I know, right? I mean, they're doing what they're doing. They've been doing it since I was in school, presumably earlier than that so who knows but I swear at some point it is going to cool off here I just I just can't wait uh the other thing I wanted to let you know about I'm going to go through a bag and I have pictures of all these things I went and got two balls of Zauberball which is the Schoppelwool it's German <laughs> Zauberball, S, uh, sorry, Z-A-U-B-E-R-B-A-L-L. This is 75% Schurwul, and this is in, I can't tell what the colorway is. See, I just, I need to learn more German, is what it comes down to. I'm getting a German brother-in-law, I should probably, I should probably step it up a little bit and step up my game. I actually downloaded a whole bunch of podcasts for teaching German, and I'm very excited, and I, I <laughs> I foolishly thought that I would be able to, you know, listen to them and learn German during the Sock Summit, because I thought I'd have downtime. <laughs> I was so, so wrong. So I just edited out about oh, 40,000 minutes of audio of me going through the bags of stuff that I brought home from Sock Summit. And what I've decided to do is I put up a lot of pictures and information, uh, plus, you know, pretty good pictures of the tags so that if you speak German or if you are interested, you can hunt some of this stuff down on your own. But I also am going to continue to do this for a couple of weeks. I have so many business cards and uh, stuff that I'm 
I'm not even going to pretend to get it all into one podcast. So I'm just going to kind of, you know, highlight different people who I met at Sock Summit and I'll just kind of rotate through them until I'm done. So if I didn't mention you in this podcast or if you aren't up on the show notes with a picture for this particular episode, please don't despair. It will come. I promise. The last thing I want to mention before we get on to our chapter 16, which is a great chapter, and I know you're waiting, is the loop knittery. This is 100% New Zealand wool from, I know this is wacky, New Zealand. One of our listeners, Amy, is is the loopknittery.co.nz. So it's L-O-O-P, loop knittery, K-N-I-T-T-E-R-Y, that's all one word, dot co, C-O, dot N-Z. Amy's actually a transplant. She's an American who's down in New Zealand with her husband. I recommend you go look at the colorway Arctic Sea, S-E-A. This is in dye lot 090528. I have four skeins of a single ply. Dear Lord, is it gorgeous. It's... uh, I I can't even figure out what I'm going to make with it. Whatever it is, it's going to be beautiful. It's this deep, kind of mottled teal color, and it's... God, it's heaven. It's kind of like, okay, if you saw the glacier pictures from when we were glaciering, um, the deepest, darkest blue color that you could get at the bottom of the glacier, that's this color. It's like plucked out of a glacier. It's just gorgeous. So please visit Amy at the loopknittery.co.nz. She is one of our listeners, and I swear this is the last thing I'm going to talk about before before I get around to some audio. And I apologize, it's really frustrating that I can't just hand you the yarn so that you can fondle it, but that is one of the drawbacks of the podcast. No. (sighs) C'est la guerre. So, I have some audio for you. Here. I'm Nancy. Hi, Nancy. What's your favorite thing to do in the whole world? Knit. See, that's why we love you. It sucks. <laughs> that's the right answer. And what's your favorite piece of classical fiction? Oh, I like Steinberg. Woo, that's the first time I've gotten that. Gina and Pride and Prejudice. Maria, An Embarrassment of Mangoes. My name is Mary Sloan, and my favorite book, oh my God, Jane Eyre. Disturbances in the Field by Lynn Sharon Schwartz. What's your name? Elaine Marcus. Cool. Read a Charles Dickens. Come on. <laughs> Divulge your name. Patty. Ramen Kellogg. Fried green tomatoes. Oh. Cindy. Uh, fiction. Cindy Tolliver. I've got two. Go for it. To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And then I just love Pride and Prejudice. Isn't that fun? Cool? We all do. Name and Michelle Miller, Tale of Two Cities, and um, this, The Beekeeper's Apprentice. I loved that book. Name and favorite book? Mm-hmm. Alex Dosett. And I like to kill a mockingbird, too. That's a good one. Carrie McBride, Pride and Prejudice, and Abundance. Ooh, you've gotten that before. Leanne Presley, Wallace Stegner, Angle of Repose. Um, Victoria Beckner, Up for Grabs. Valerie Young, and I can't think of one in this moment. You've worn my brain out. (laughs) I sucked your brain dry. You did. Linda Gatman. The Wizard of Oz. Very first Wizard of Oz. A lot of knitting. Jana Shiwi, Broken for You. Oh, cool. Just any book, right? Any book. Betty Hay, um, Pride and Prejudice. Anything Jane will skip. You're skipping me? All right. Oh, Isabel Lewis. Um, I loved uh, the Guernsey and Potato Peel Society. Oh, I just started that. I've been listening okay. to them and on, from audible.com. And Good. Oh, Gone with the Wind is my favorite book of all times. Ooh, so cool. And Pam Langley. Cool. Anything by Alice Hoffman. Oh, well, yeah, that's good. That works. My name is Deb. I 
It's hard. It doesn't have to be your only favorite book. Uh, I know, I've got too many. I love the Patrick O'Brien books. Okay. My husband has read them out loud to me several times. Oh, that's nice. That's Good that's one of my favorite things to do is to spin and knit while he reads that. Sweet. Okay, my name is Joan, and one of my favorite books is Haroon and the Sea of Stories. I'm Judy, and my favorite book is The Ocean Between Us by Susan Wakes. Oh my goodness. Name? John Bryant, Isaac Asimov, um, anything. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> and I also like Stephen Hawking. Oh. Because he keeps it real. <laughs> real and quantum. Um, and why are you here at Sock Summit? What is your business here? Uh, we are Handknit Heroes, the comic book for knitters, or graphic novel, if you will. Thank you very much. And what's your website? Uh, www.comicknits.com. I am Stephanie Bryant, and one of my favorite books is Life of Pi by Yann Martell. And one of the reasons I love this book so much is because in this book you will find every style of writing. There, there are entire how to train a tiger, at, you know, entire chapters dedicated to this. I love this because it's you know it's like it's like a tutorial. And know. what do you do for your day job? Um, well, yeah, so that would be because I'm a technical writer. <laughs> <laughs> there you are. Um, and it, it it also one of the great things about the, that book and one of the things that I carry into my own storytelling is you ask your question. You ask, you ask the question of what is the story that you want to believe? And I love that as a question because as a writer and a, and a storyteller, that's a question I want to answer. Very cool. What story should we believe? I'm Debbie Stone and my favorite book books are the Harry Potter series. Cool. Yeah. What are you doing here at Saxon? I'm a member of the ST2 and I'm in charge of the marketplace. My name is Tracy Breyer, and no, you cannot ask me, you cannot make me tell you who is my favorite author or what is my favorite book. No, sorry. You cannot make me choose. My name is Diane Reed Jackson, and my favorite author was probably Jasper Ford and the Arthur. Aren't you brilliant? That was the exact same one that I said. It is. For today. Tomorrow will yes. be different. Okay. Cool. All right. Dixie. My name is Dixie Gurley, and my favorite book is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Excellent. Mm. And where is it that you work? I own Yellow Dog Knitting in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yeah, and are you on the web? Yes, I am at yellowdogknitting.com. <laughs> my name's Kathy Davis, and my favorite book is the Harry Potter books by J.K. Rowling. Very nice. And where do you live when you're not here in Portland? I live in Delaware in the U.S., but obviously I'm not from there. Um, England. Where? It's a big place. Birmingham, England. There you go. Meg Thomas Riley. And my absolute famous favorite book of all time is actually Pride and Prejudice. I go back to it all the time. I am Marissa Ebers, and my absolute favorite book is The Little Prince. Hi, my name is Big Alice, and my favorite book is The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Cindy Kester, and my... Um, oh, God, I can't remember the name of the gal that wrote the yarn book. Another one is Yarn. Yes. Okay, Teresa. Uh, Nancy Bush. Maxine. <laughs> Douglas Adams's um, The Salmon of Doubt. He's good, and I did see him once. To read or to listen to? To read. To read, to listen to right now, it's Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard. That man's voice could coax paint off a wall. <laughs> <laughs> to read, gosh, there's just so many. I love Sherry S. Tepper's fantasy novels. All right. And what's your name? Meg. I can't possibly just pick one. <laughs> I can't possibly. What's your son's favorite book? Uh, well, right now he is uh, he is obsessed with a series called The Warriors. And what's your name? Abby. 
I'm Danny McMillan, and my favorite, I can't pick a favorite book, but my, I have two classes of books that I read. So I'm a Dickens girl. I read anything. I'm reading all the Dickens. And my modern one is Annie E. Perlix. Hi, I'm barely awake, but my name is Amy. <laughs> and, and Heather just got a text message. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, you did. Um, it's, it's anything Neil Gaiman I always read, but in terms of classics, I have no answer. Because I haven't read them since college, and it's been a long time. Jenny. And it would be William Faulkner, and I think my favorite William Faulkner novel has to be A Light in August. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jess from Ravelry, and my favorite book or author, um, I think my favorite nostalgia author has to be Madeline Langle. Um, yeah, A Wrinkle in Time kind of changed my little girl life forever. Yeah. And um, for classic, I just, I mean, I know it's so done, but you know, Jane Austen. <laughs> Pride and Prejudice is definitely my favorite. My name is Mary Heather Kogo, and you know, for my favorite author, especially classics, I have to say Shakespeare. I was a drama major, and I really love Shakespeare. I'm your first Shakespeare? <laughs> That's kind of wrong. That's wrong. Yeah, but you and I are theater. Yes, okay. Yeah, I love Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite Shakespeare? Hamlet. No way, really. Hamlet is the best. All right. Hamlet is the best. Hamlet is your favorite. Hamlet is my favorite. I love The Tempest, which is so different as well, but I... And kind of controversial. Yeah, Tempest is very controversial, um, but I, I love Hamlet. Not Lear. Oh, I love Lear. I was in King Lear. No, I was Kent. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. <laughs> Gretchen Funk. Kurt Vonnegut. Uh, owner of. Oh, owner of Triple Rock. All right. Part owner of Triple Rock. Yeah, that's okay. Um, Kurt Vonnegut. Anything by Kurt Vonnegut. You're my first Kurt Vonnegut. What's your favorite Vonnegut? I, I have to be kind of... I guess Galapagos. Nice. It's weird, but yeah. yeah. Most people Glad would cast Cradle of Slime House 5. Slime House 5, I love Slime It's mm. classic. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. good. I'm um, Casey from Ravelry. Uh, the, when you first asked the question, the first thing came to my mind was uh, Down and Out in Paris and London. You're the first other person other than my husband who's read that book. Really? What? Yeah. I love you. So like any, right. <laughs> so any kid that's into like whatever, any counterculture, Abby Hoffman, or whatever, I don't know what hippie kids are into these days, but like you should, <laughs> they should really be reading Down Out in Paris and London. Yes, they should. Um, it's it's an amazing book. I don't know. Yeah. It, it it made me. It, it's tough oh, though. You, you want to read it. Fiction. You want to read it younger in life because it makes you sort of want to take off and and. Uh, like back back around who knows and, where by and yourself. And it makes you more empathetic to people who maybe don't have a Ex Exactly, yes, yes. yes. It's, it's a great book. And, and and people might, you know, they think of George Orwell and they think of 1940 Animal Farm and whatever. It's it's not even, it's just different. So, yeah. It's funny. It's funny. It's interesting. It's, it's yeah. And I recommend it to everybody. Here all this time, I just thought you were a code monkey. Oh, You're yeah, so no. much more than a code monkey. No, I love, I love reading. Well, you know what? I haven't been reading much these days. But, <laughs> but it's like my second time. love, so yeah. My name is Amy, and I've fallen deeply in love with Arnold Bennett. Really? You know why? No. There is this really cool, like, Unitarian minister in the UK who reads his books on LibriVox. And it's his voice, and the old wives' tale, and the card. Those books are kiss, and I love the way. Yeah, you might think you know, they're on LibriVox. You might I'm, want to. Uh, I'm putting it out there. Awesome. I'm Meg, and I love the Canterbury Tales. I love Chaucer. I think that there are some incredibly unexpected scenarios in the book, and they're my favorites. You may have noticed that some of those people were recorded more than once, and I hope you noticed that they all, all of them, listed different books every time I caught them. I think that says a lot about Craftlet listeners and how, like JC said, you really just can't be pinned down to one favorite book. I know my favorite books seem to change with the wind or the humidity or something, but it's something that I particularly liked about all of the listeners who I was able to talk to, and even some people who aren't listeners who I was able to talk to. 
maybe they'll come over to the side of the light with the rest of us. I also wanted to let you know that that last bit where it got a little bit noisy was recorded outside on the street in Portland on 2nd Street at Kell's Pub. And I have linked to the best shepherd's pie in the world served at their pub. And I hope you recognized a few of those uh, names. We had Amy from Nitty.com. We had Jess and Mary Heather and Casey from Ravelry. We had Denny from Lettuce Knits in Toronto. We had Abby Frankmont from Abby's Yarns. And those are just some of the names that you might have recognized. There are many others that I think you probably will because there are many other people who are in those classes and wandering around who have just done spectacular and amazing things. So it was just exciting. And again, I'm going to keep bringing up all the business cards and the people that I met so that you get to meet them a little bit too. So chapter 16 is... Chapter 16 is a setup for the next, I think, three or four chapters. And it's wonderful in that it gives you this really sad and mournful setup to the inevitable meeting between Hester and Dimsdale. One of the things that I think you can't help but love in this particular chapter is that Hawthorne has spent so much time investing in the supernatural and the scientific world. So, you know, you've got these two dynamics that are working against each other. In this set of chapters, and I read somewhere that like a fifth of the words used in the book show up in the next four chapters, this this in the next three or four chapters. Everything in here is symbolic. The pathway is symbolic. The sunlight is symbolic. Pearl is symbolic. Even evil and the nature of evil is symbolic. Mistress Hibbins is symbolic. And I'm hoping that our minister, Renee, listens to the podcast will send in some commentary because I seem to recall being taught that the word sin really means missing the mark. Sinning is not evil. It's that you've attempted to be good and you have somehow through your own actions or the influences of others on your actions, you have missed the mark. You have not performed at the level that you wish you had and I think if you think of sin that way and you think of sinning that way, it it adds, I mean, it's not like Hester isn't already a tragic figure, but it adds another level of tragedy to Hester because she's not an evil person, nor is Dimsdale. Neither of them are. Chillingworth, you can make an argument for. Chillingworth is just flat out bad at this point. He didn't used to be. He was a good man before. You know, as good as you can imagine the man taking a very young wife. Anyway, so I think one of the things that this chapter should raise in your mind, in the back of your mind, it's not the forefront yet of the chapter, is what is evil? And and just like mm, if you saw the play, not the movie, but if you saw the play version of Le Liaison Dangereux, and I know I just massacred the French, but if you if you saw Dangerous Liaisons, but you saw it on stage with with the French title, <laughs> uh, the last scene is really quite horrifying. Not because it's bloody, not because it's it's any more um, overwrought than the movie, but because you have Valmont and you have I can't remember her name, Madame What's Her Face, and they're sitting there and they're playing cards, and the set is all louvered shutters, you know, the kind that have the the center pole. And so you can pull the piece of wood up and it tilts all the little Venetian blind thingies up, or you can pull that center piece of wood down and it tilts it all down. Those things have been mechanized throughout the play. They have opened, they have closed, they have moved slowly and gracefully to indicate time of day. Beautiful, right? One of the things that you realize at the end of this play in their last scene when they're playing cards and there's some meaningful language that's exchanged between them about the way that they're playing cards and it's all very heavily symbolic and tragic but the thing that strikes you is that the next day very likely these people will lose their heads because the french revolution is on their doorstep and so the last line is something about kind of banal 
playing cards and all the shutters close with a bang because as far as you're concerned they're dead this this particular set of chapters to me in many ways has the same kind of finality as that scene in Le Liaison Dangereux because you have you can see it coming you know the French Revolution isn't there but you can see that it's coming they are seconds away from losing their head as these next few chapters build you will probably be able to predict what is coming and what Hester and Dimsdale are going to be facing the other thing to pay very close attention to is the characterization of Pearl. The, the whole book takes place over about seven years, but as Pearl grows and becomes more and more impish in some scenes, but also more and more troubling because she, it's not just impishness, she on some level understands what is going on it's just like a, you know a child who's been adopted who isn't told that they've been adopted on some level they're going to pick up on it pick up on the fact that something is being kept from them and they're going to come up with all sorts of ideas about what it is probably most of them much much worse than the reality but the there's a book I've referred to before called A Chorus of Stones about what happened during the Cold War psychologically to the country because the, the country knew that they were being lied to on certain specific topics. And it didn't do anything good for the country. It doesn't do anything good for people. Um, I once dated a guy who I knew was lying to me and I was absolutely paranoid. And I was right. He was lying to me. But now that I'm married to a man who isn't lying to me i am not a paranoid crazy girl i think i think many of us have probably been there so so in this chapter pearl pearl is important to watch everything is symbolic light trees pathways dirt uh moss everything means something else this is probably a chapter you're going to want to listen to more than once just just to make sure that you catch everything and then you know keep in the back of your mind the concept of sin what sin really is and also keep in the back of your mind what what is evil you know what do we really mean when we talk about something that's evil because that's that's a very strong word and it should be used cautiously and sparingly along with you know words like hate because if you really pay attention to what the words mean it would be tragic if we english speakers lost the true meaning of those words it's kind of, it's kind of important to have some fairly harsh words it's like you know when people throw around the word fascist or nazi um ge generally those are being used fairly inaccurately and i think it diminishes our ability to communicate about serious things um okay that was my soapbox for, <laughs> for today but um it's a great chapter again it's another setup chapter it's leading you into what's coming you'll see more of hester with dimsdale and i promise you the next few episodes are just going to be great you are going to love these scenes so today we have our wonderful reader who also read chapter 15 we have marissa mcgrath who is reading us chapter 16 of the scarlet letter chapter 16 a forest walk hester prin remained constant in her resolve to make known to mr dimsdale at whatever risk of present pain or ulterior consequences the true character of the man who had crept into his intimacy for several days, however, she vainly sought an opportunity of addressing him in some of the meditative walks which she knew him to be in the habit of taking along the shores of the peninsula, or on the wooded hills of the neighboring country. There would have been no scandal indeed, nor peril to the holy witness of the clergyman's good fame, had she visited him in his own study, where many a penitent ere now had confessed sins of perhaps as deep a dye as the one betokened by the scarlet letter. But partly that she dreaded the secret or undisguised interference of old Roger Chillingworth, and partly that her conscious heart imparted suspicion where none could have been felt, and partly that both the minister and she would need the whole wide world to breathe in while they talked together. For all these reasons, Hester never thought of meeting him in any narrower privacy than beneath the open sky. 
At last, while attending a sick chamber, whither the Reverend Mr. Dimsdale had been summoned to make a prayer, she learnt that he had gone, the day before, to visit the Apostle Elliot among his Indian converts. He would probably return by a certain hour in the afternoon of the morrow. The times, therefore, the next day, Hester took Little Pearl, who was necessarily the companion of all her mother's expeditions, however inconvenient her presence, and set forth. The road after the two wayfarers had crossed from the peninsula to the mainland was no other than a footpath. It straggled onward into the mystery of the primeval forest. This hemmed it in so narrowly, and stood so black and dense on either side, and disclosed such imperfect glimpses of the sky above, that to Hester's mind it imaged not amiss the moral wilderness in which she had so long been wandering. The day was chill and somber. Overhead was a gray expanse of cloud, slightly stirred, however, by a breeze, so that a gleam of flickering sunshine might now and then be seen at its solitary play along the path. This flitting cheerfulness was always at the further extremity of some long vista through the forest. The sport of sunlight, feebly sportive at best, in the predominant pensiveness of the day and scene, withdrew itself as they came nigh, and left the spots where it had danced the drearier, because they had hoped to find them bright. "'Mother,' said Little Pearl, "'the sunshine does not love you. It runs away and hides itself, because it is afraid of something on your bosom. Now see, there it is, playing a good way off. Stand you here and let me run and catch it. I am but a child. It will not flee from me.' for I wear nothing on my bosom yet. Nor ever will, my child, I hope, said Hester. And why not, mother? asked Pearl, stopping short just at the beginning of her race. Will not it come of its own accord when I am a woman grown? Run away, child, answered her mother, and catch the sunshine. It will soon be gone. Pearl set forth at a great pace, and as Hester smiled to perceive, did actually catch the sunshine, and stood laughing in the midst of it, all brightened by its splendor, and scintillating with the vivacity excited by rapid motion. The light lingered about the lonely child, as if glad of such a playmate, until her mother had drawn almost nigh enough to step into the magic circle, too. "'It will go now,' said Pearl, shaking her head. "'See,' answered Hester, smiling. "'Now I can stretch out my hand and grasp some of it.' As she attempted to do so, the sunshine vanished. Or to judge from the bright expression that was dancing on Pearl's features, her mother could have fancied that the child had absorbed it into herself." and would give it forth again with a gleam about her path, as they should plunge into some gloomier shade. There was no other attribute that so much impressed her with a sense of new and untransmitted vigor in Pearl's nature as this never-failing vivacity of spirits. She had not the disease of sadness which almost all children in these latter days inherit with the scrofula from the troubles of their ancestors. Perhaps this, too, was a disease— and but the reflex of the wild energy with which Hester had fought against her sorrows before Pearl's birth. It was certainly a doubtful charm, imparting a hard metallic luster to the child's character. She wanted, what some people want throughout life, a grief that should deeply touch her, and thus humanize and make her capable of sympathy. But there was time enough yet for little Pearl. "'Come, my child,' said Hester, looking about her from the spot where Pearl had stood still in the sunshine." We will sit down a little way within the wood and rest ourselves. I am not a weary mother, replied the little girl, but you may sit down if you will tell me a story meanwhile. A story, child, said Hester, and about what? Oh, a story about the black man, answered Pearl, taking hold of her mother's gown and looking up half earnestly, half mischievously into her face. How he haunts this forest and carries a book with him, a big, heavy book with iron clasps, and how this ugly black man offers his book and an iron pen to everybody that meets him here among the trees, and they are to write their names with their own blood, and then he sets his mark on their bosoms. Didst thou ever meet the black man, mother? And who told you this story, Pearl? asked her mother, recognizing a common superstition of the period. It was the old dame in the chimney corner at the house where you watched last night, said the child, but she fancied me asleep while she was talking of it. She said that a thousand and a thousand people had met him here, and had written in his book, and have made his mark on them. And that ugly-tempered lady, old Mistress Hibbins, was one. And mother, the old dame said that the scarlet letter was the black man's mark on thee, and that it glows like a red flame when thou meetst him at midnight, here in the dark wood. Is it true, mother? And dost thou go to meet him in the night-time? Didst thou ever awake and find thy mother gone? asked Hester. Not that I remember, said the child. If thou fearest to leave me in our cottage, thou mightest 
take me along with thee. I would very gladly go. But, mother, tell me now, is there such a black man? And didst thou ever meet him? And is this his mark? Wilt thou let me be at peace if I once tell thee? asked her mother. Yes, if thou tellest me all, answered Pearl. Once in my life I met the black man, said her mother. This scarlet letter is his mark. Thus conversing, they entered sufficiently deep into the wood to secure themselves from the observation of any casual passenger along the forest track. Here they sat down on a luxuriant heap of moss, which at some epoch of a preceding century had been a gigantic pine, with its roots and trunk in the darksome shade, and its head aloft in the upper atmosphere. It was a little dell where they had seated themselves, with a leaf-strewn bank rising gently on either side, and a brook flowing through the mist over a bed of fallen and drowned leaves. The trees, impending over it, had flung down great branches from time to time, which choked up the current, and compelled it to form eddies and black depths at some points, while, in its swifter and livelier passages, there appeared a channelway of pebbles and brown sparkling sand. Letting the eyes follow along the course of the stream, they could watch the reflected light from its water, at some short distance within the forest but soon lost all traces of it amid the bewilderment of tree trunks and underbrush, and here and there a huge rock covered over with gray lichens. All these giant trees and boulders of granite seemed intent on making a mystery of the course of this small brook, fearing perhaps that, with its never-ceasing loquacity, it should whisper tales out of the heart of the old forest whence it flowed, or mirror its revelations on the smooth surface of a pool. Continually, indeed, as it stole onward, the streamlet kept up a babble, kind, quiet, soothing, but melancholy, like the voice of a young child that was spending its infancy without playfulness, and knew not how to be merry among sad acquaintance and events of somber hue. "'Oh, brook! Oh, foolish and tiresome little brook!' cried Pearl after listening a while to its talk. "'Why art thou so sad? Pluck up a spirit, and do not be all the time sighing and murmuring.' But the brook in the course of its little lifetime among the forest trees had gone through so solemn an experience that it could not help talking about it, and seemed to have nothing else to say. Her resembled the brook, inasmuch as the current of her life gushed from a wellspring as mysterious, and had flowed through scenes shadowed as heavily with gloom. But unlike the little stream, she danced and sparkled, and prattled airily along her course. "'What does this sad little brook say, mother?' inquired she. If thou hadst a sorrow of thy own, the brook might tell thee of it, answered her mother, even as it is telling me of mine. But now, Pearl, I hear a footstep along the path, and the noise of one putting aside the branches. I would have thee betake thyself to play, and leave me to speak with him that comes yonder. Is it the black man? asked Pearl. Wilt thou go and play, child? repeated her mother. But do not stray far into the wood, and take heed that thou come at my first call. Yes, mother, answered Pearl, but if it be the black man, wilt thou not let me stay a moment and look at him with his big book under his arm? Go, silly child, said her mother impatiently. It is no black man. Thou canst see him now through the trees. It is the minister. And so it is, said the child. And mother, he has his hand over his heart. Is it because when the minister wrote his name in the book, the black man set his mark in that place? But why does he not wear it outside his bosom, as thou dost, mother? Go now, child, and thou shalt tease me as thou wilt another time, cried Hester Prynne. But do not stray far. Keep where thou canst hear the babble of the brook. The child went singing away, following up the current of the brook, and striving to mingle a more lightsome cadence with its melancholy voice. But the little stream would not be comforted, and still kept telling its unintelligible secret of some very mournful mystery that had happened or making a prophetic lamentation about something that was yet to happen, within the verge of the dismal forest. So Pearl, who had enough of shadow in her own little life, chose to break off all acquaintance with this repining brook. She set herself, therefore, to gather violets and wooden enemies, and some scarlet columbines that she had found growing in the crevice of a high rock. When her elf child had departed, Hester Prynne made a step or two towards the track that led through the forest, but still remained under the deep shadow of the trees. She beheld the minister advancing along the path entirely alone and leaning on a staff, which he had cut by the wayside. 
He looked haggard and feeble, and betrayed a nerveless despondency in his air, which had never so remarkably characterized him in his walks about the settlement, nor in any other situation where he deemed himself liable to notice. Here it was woefully visible, in this intense seclusion of the forest, which of itself would have been a heavy trial to the spirits. There was a listlessness in his gait, as if he saw no reason for taking one step further, nor felt any desire to do so, but would have been glad, could, could he be glad of anything, to fling himself down at the root of the nearest tree, and lie there passive for evermore. The leaves might bestrew him, and the soil gradually accumulate and form a little hillock over his frame, no matter whether there were life in it or no. Death was too definite an object to be wished for, or avoided. To Hester's eye, the Reverend Mr. Dimsdale exhibited no symptom of positive and vivacious suffering, except that, as Little Pearl had remarked, he kept his hand over his heart. End of chapter 16, read by Marissa McGrath in Vancouver, British Columbia. You can see it coming, can't you? There he is, the poor man, holding his hand over his heart. Oh, oh, it's just going to get sad for a little while. Actually, it's, it's going to get sad and it's going to stay sad. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Sorry about that. It's a real uplifting back to school kind of story. Good way to start the school year. Uh, I think that's it. This has taken me almost an entire week to edit. I really apologize. I thought I was going to be able to get through this much faster, but uh, I am about to start my semester as well. And so things are a little bit complicated. Uh, I will get out the next episode as fast as I can. I know you guys have been waiting for a long time and, um, and I'll do my best for you. Until we speak again, I leave you with one brief statement more about our upcoming trip. This is Heather Ordover of Craftlit. I am Diane Reed Jackson of Holiday Vacations. And along with Amy Singer of Nitty.com, we would like to invite you on a very literary adventure. London, Bath, and Wales, October 2nd to the 9th in 2010. Please go to Craftlit.com. Click on the icon in the upper right-hand corner to follow a link for the brochure and to register your email address for additional information. Your email address will not be sold, lent, borrowed, folded, spindled, or mutilated. One more time, visit the show notes at craftlit, that's C-R-A-F-T-L-I-T, all one word, dot com, and... Click on the icon in the upper right-hand corner to follow a link for the brochure and to register your email address for additional information. That's seven nights in London, Bath, and Wales with a bunch of literary, fibery, artsy people, including... Heather Ordover from Craftlit and Amy Singer from Nitty.com, and maybe we can even hunt down Brenda Dane. Oh, and did we mention the distillery and dinner at a castle in Cardiff and undressing Mr. Darcy? I'm not kidding. Go to Craftlit.com and click on the link in the upper right-hand corner. You'll see a button to find out more. All right, that's all for this week. I hope you have a great one. I am going to go try and write some syllabi. I, I really hope your week is better than that. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Please remember to support the people who support Craftlit. Visit Knitting Out Loud. Listen while you knit. And please visit the blogs and sites of Craftlit supporters. Those links can be found in the sidebar of the show notes. The show notes can be found at craftlit.com or you can subscribe at iTunes. Craftlit is made possible by the generous support of its listeners. And for that, I am truly grateful. And remember, if your hands are too busy to pick up a book, at least you can turn one on.